sorry to uh, interrupt your conversations. And uh, it's, uh, it is that season need to get moving because I know you all have spring cleaning projects waiting for you. Hey, you never wanted a worship service to last so long, did you? Now, my next door neighbor uh, yesterday had a whole driveway just filled with stuff. And we were all like, hey, when's uh, Andy's having a, a garage sale or what? And we walked over and he said, no, I'm just trying to clean out one side of my garage so I can fit at least one car um, in it. And this, this season, uh, um, after Easter, this, uh, this year, we're going to walk with Jesus as He does some cleaning up and cleaning out with, uh, with His uh, people. Uh, Matthew um, takes a good number of chapters and presents Jesus' teaching um, from Palm Sunday to Monday, Thursday, and we're going to look at about half of that um, over the next uh, several weeks. Uh, as how do we, as a following a living Savior, become uh, His living church? I mean, if if Jesus is alive and we believe He is, and how does He lead us uh, to be His living community? And it's in the, his last days. You know, it's sort of in those days when you know that you know what the end is. I mean, he knows what's coming, and so he lets it all hang out in a way here. And it's sort of like a, um, as we'll see today, and some other some electric shock to sort of revive um, his people. Um, the Bill Stolfang, who we prayed from, and he was here first service, but you know, Bill had. 29 electric shocks in the course of like three weeks um, because his heart just wasn't quite cooperating. And so there's some ways that that, that Jesus is going to awaken us so that we will be his living people. And one of the things that he, he gets at here is that he wants us to be his living people so that others might, who don't know him might easily come alongside him. That they might easily connect with their living creator too. So as to find their own spiritual joy and, and livelihood. Our passages in Matthew 21, uh, starting with verse uh, 12. Uh, it's on, on page 802 in your pew Bible. Um, you can... Turn there, you can follow along on the screen or whatever other form that you might have the scriptures. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you again for your written word. We thank you for your living word. And we ask now your Holy Spirit would, would indeed um, awaken us, would, would shock us where, where we need to be shocked, that you would show us where we're out of line with you, or show us we're not your living people. Um, so that we might be uh, your um, living church. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew uh, 21, starting with verse 12. And this is is like the day after um, Palm Sunday. So it's sort of like uh, uh, Monday morning about. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. 
And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! They became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus takes this time as after, after being ushered in on Palm Sunday and now he's going to clean house. He's going to rearrange the furniture in some rather significant ways. I mean, he comes in like a bull in a proverbial china shop, turning over tables, taking chairs and throwing them to the side because the practices of God's people are in total opposition to the purposes of God. I mean, the temple is that place, big, big building in the middle of Jerusalem where people would gather to worship God. I mean, in the Old Testament, understanding is that the temple is the place where God dwelt. That was where God was to be found in the temple. That's where he lived. And so everybody would come to the temple in order to worship him, to have sacrifices, to learn about him, to to meet with God at the temple was what was going on in those days. That was the the Old Testament way of connecting with God. Different today. We'll talk about that um, later. But that was the place where you went to meet with God. There were the Jews who were on the inside, who, who could go into the, some of the inner chambers, and then there were the non-Jews, everybody else, uh, called Gentiles. And they had their own space called the court of the Gentiles, where they could come where there would be Gentiles, people not of the the, the chosen Jews, but others who would want to know God, want to experience Him. And so the court of the Gentiles was set up where they could then experience God and worship God. The, The problem was that during these high seasons, during Passover, where did all of this happen? Where were the money changers? Where were the folks selling the doves and and selling the lambs? Uh, All of those folks were in the court of Gentiles. So they would gather there in order to provide for the needs of those on the inside. They would then take over the space that was designed for those on the outside. And during that high season would in a sense crowd them out. And Jesus responds... In a few times that he does this, in a righteous anger. Because his people had let the operation of the temple take priority over the very purpose of the temple. 
getting done what was necessary for people inside the club to accomplish their purposes on their high holy days had now taken the place of what those outside needed to do and where they could gather. And in so doing, they had totally inverted, turned upside down the very thing God wanted to have happen. In prayer, so Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, saying, you've taken my house of prayer for all people. You've taken that away. Let's look at Isaiah 56. You you get a sense of what what he's quoting, um, what he's saying, and why he gives this. You've taken what is to be a house of prayer and and turned it into um, a den of robbers. But Isaiah 56 is the house of prayer for all people. You have that bearing? I know we had it. First service. There we go. Thank you. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this, the one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and refrains from doing any evil. Like I'm sitting at my computer at home watching the thing turn. Thank you. Oops. Technical difficulties. Oh, okay, that is Isaiah. All right. No. Yeah, I want Isaiah. All right. Isaiah. 56. I know where it is. It's right after Isaiah 55. Okay. Oh, let's see. We got that one. There we go. Go back. There we go. Perfect. I already read the first three. So that's for, then it says, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. See, you get what Isaiah the prophet's been saying long ago that Jesus is tapping into. This is the heart of God that the foreigners and the eunuchs, the, the, the ones that are unclean, 
the, the Gentiles, the, the ones that are not of my people, if they are following me, if they are walking with me, then they'll have a name better than sons and daughters. Their sacrifices will be accepted. And, and so now, you, you see, it gives a little more insight into why Jesus' anger was so overwhelming because God's people were doing the very thing that was against the very purpose of God. They had pushed out the foreigner. They had pushed out the eunuch. They had pushed out the Gentile in order to carry out their own religious responsibilities. Now, what you need to know is that that stuff, the selling and all that, that happened outside the temple except around Passover. It was around the three weeks prior to Passover that then all of a sudden they came in and they pushed out the eunuch and the foreigner and the Gentile who wanted to know God. For their own convenience, for their own pleasure, they pushed out the ones that wanted to seek God who weren't part of the inner circle. So Jesus came and cleaned house. It's that righteous anger then that he threw the furniture all over the place. Where is Jesus rearranging the furniture in your own life? Where, where is, is He invading your life and throwing some stuff around because you're focused on taking care of your preferences without concern for those on the outside? In our day now, in the day of the New Testament, this building is not a temple. Matter of fact, this building is no different than any other building in terms of it being sacred. Because there is no place that God is not present. Now, we have memories in this building that draw us closer to God in all kinds of ways. But there is no place on, in any of God's creation that God is not equally present. There is no distinction between holy and sacred space in the sense of God being present. In the New Testament, in our day, the temple, the place where God resides, is no longer in a building, but in you and me. We are the temple together, and individually, we're the temple. So how in your own life is Jesus overturning the tables in your court of Gentiles? Where are the places that you are the temple engaging with those who who are outside of the club of the church? The eunuchs and the foreigners. But ones who want to know Him. What are the relationships in your own life, in our life, for us as a church with those that don't know Him, outside of the the 400 of us? That Jesus is saying, clear out the the court of the Gentiles because I want them in there. 
I want them to know it. I want them to know me. And you're now the temple. And in the fierceness of Jesus' action in the temple in that day, He's asking us, where are our relationships with those that don't know Him? And if you don't have any, then get off your butt and get some. I mean, that's, that's the fierceness that He comes in and cleans out the temple and the seriousness in our own lives. Of saying, are we at least praying for them? Are we at least saying, Lord, bring someone, open my eyes, let, let me clear out the court of Gentiles so that I might connect with those that don't know you but are seeking you. And even, even when we gather, even just to take it, this is an easy, easier step. When we gather here on, on Sunday morning and you see somebody you don't know, do you just go over and just introduce yourself? Do you make it a point of doing that? And introducing yourself to them and, and starting a conversation. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have been doing this a while, you know, and they'll say, oh, I'm always so embarrassed because I go over to somebody I don't know and they tell me they've been a member here 20 years. And then I'm like, oh, well, I thought you were a visitor. I mean, who cares if they've been a member 20 years? Laugh at that. Say, oh, I've been a member 15, so we've been here 15 years and never did talk to one another. Ha <laughs> ha, isn't that funny? Glad to meet you now. I don't get that. I really don't. You know, is your, your court of Gentiles so full of stuff that there's no room? I mean, I know, this is not a, there's nobody in here that's just sort of twiddling their thumbs. It's got all kinds of free time. It's a matter of overturning some tables. I mean, it's a matter of cleaning out the court of Gentiles. It's a matter of putting yourself in places where you interact with those that don't know Him, and you're going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to that. I mean, Jesus is overturning some furniture to say, clean out your court of Gentiles. Because the church is for anyone wants to come to me. And we have to be very intentional about making connections with others outside the church. The other statement that Jesus makes here, where he says, my house is to be a house of prayer for all peoples. It is also to be, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. And that's actually from Jeremiah 7. That Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah 7, where he's saying, You as a people have made this about your own personal security, your own personal comfort, your own personal preferences, and as your primary goal instead of serving me. Uh, Jeremiah 7. Uh, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Uh, this is the way Jeremiah would train um, ushers. We won't do that just yet, um, but this is how he. This is what he asked for Jeremiah to be an usher, and this is what he was to do: stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, "Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord." 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I think that was a chorus of a song. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations? See, ushers, you've got an easy job now, don't you? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? You know I too am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. So you get a real sense then of Jesus demonstrating God's righteous anger against His people who had taken the temple and God's presence and God's protection for themselves and made made that for them a nice security blanket. Made that for them, in a sense, the church, the, 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 the temple, a gated community for their own personal pursuit. To come to God, sort of get their cards stamped, and then go do what they wanted. When what the, the temple was about then and now, the presence of God in our lives is to bring transformation. It's to bring change for us, as he says there, to be more and more into the likeness of his character. To be honest. To, to care for the alien, the widow, the orphan. To, to practice that which draws us closer to God. It's interesting when I look at Jesus' model at the things that draw us closer to God. There are two things that I think that he did and that, that he led and that he taught in order to, to help people follow him be the temple of God. To grow in Christ's likeness for the glory of God. One, and this is his basic model, was to gather in small groups of people where you shared life with each other and you challenged one another and you met with Jesus together and you you heard from Him and you helped one another and supported one another. Do what He said. That's called discipleship. That's the disciples where He gathered 12 people together and hung out with them sharing life together. And the other... Uh, to grow in Christ, to know Christ, was to put yourself in situations with people in need. Just a few chapters later, Jesus is going to say, you know, in as much as you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. 
And isn't that the very heart of a life with Christ? Is to serve Christ. Is to love Christ. It's the greatest commandment. And he tells us right there, in as much as you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. You know, there's really only a couple other times that you see Jesus get angry in the Scriptures. And it's usually around this theme. He got mad at the disciples when they told the children to leave him alone. He got angry with the disciples and they said, Little children, y'all don't come to Jesus. Jesus was indignant with them and called the children to himself. See? See that theme? The ways that the, the disciples, the Jesus followers, can push aside those that don't seem useless or seem useful to us. Or that don't fit the cultural mold. Because in that day, children, were they, were, they drained from you until they got to a certain age and then they could give. Another time, another time he got angry was with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. One of, the, um, of my favorite uh, commentators, um, New Testament professors, Frederick Dale Bruner, in his translation of this, every time he said Pharisees, he would, put, he would substitute senior pastors and Bible study leaders. Yeah, yeah. So when the senior pastors and Bible study leaders were with Jesus at a worship service and Jesus wanted to disrupt the thing by healing a man on the Sabbath, the senior pastors and worship leaders said, no, don't do that. And Jesus got angry at the senior pastors and Bible study leaders for getting in the way of Jesus' healing of the lame. You got any tables that need to be turned over in your life that are crowding out uh, your court of Gentiles? And and as, as a church... As we learn to connect in Jesus no matter our differences. What are the the tables in our court of Gentiles? Maybe we don't even see. We're used to them. That's the furniture. But for others who are outside the church, that that it gets in the way. What are those things? We'd be praying that Jesus would show us, would open our eyes. And as we seek to be a multicultural community of Jesus followers, united in Jesus, connected in Jesus, no matter our differences, we've got to, to learn to separate what are our things that we like because that's the way we've done it and what are the things that are really necessary to know Jesus. Uh, we've uh, started in the middle hour a couple, uh, one time we're going to start again in June, uh, something called a multicultural Christian primer that walks just through that. Because for the most part, we as a church, our culture, the way that we do things is white and affluent. Now, for those of us who are white and affluent, we don't get that because it's just the world we live in. So sort of like a fish. Fish never knows he's swimming in water until you pull him out of it. You know, you pull yourself out of a culture, then all of a sudden, whoa, hey, it's a lot more comfortable in there. And if we're seeking to be a multicultural community, we've got to see that and learn that and, and grow into that. And so that's one of the reasons of this particular class is we're seeking to reach out to anyone and everyone that's even within shouting distance. 
And I know I shout a little louder than usual today. So what tables is Jesus going to throw out of the way so that our court of Gentiles is open? Now, I want you to look at this, too. Look at the, look at the other people that got angry here. It was those senior pastors that got angry. You know, the, the Bible study leaders, the elders, the leadership types, that got, the ones that like being in control, that, that more than anything like to do it the way we've always done it before. Well, they got angry because when Jesus showed up, he started healing the lame. He started healing the deaf. And the children started singing praise unto him. And the senior pastors are like, Jesus, do you know what they're doing? Jesus is like, yeah. And he quotes Psalm 8 to them. This is is an interesting little sideline here. This is the Psalm 8 that we have in our our Bible, based on the the Hebrew Bible. Um, Jesus didn't use the Hebrew Bible often. He quoted what's called the Septuagint. No, no, that's that's free, that word. Um, And it it was a Bible translated into Greek. And the Greek Bible is exactly what Jesus quoted there. We, we pull from the Hebrew, and it's here, but you'll see the, the similarities. Um, our Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. But it's that, That's good. Um, it's out of the mouths and infants that you've called forth um, your praise. Out of the mouths of babes and infants that you've called forth your praise. That's what he's quoting there. And Jesus is cleaning house here, and he's claiming to be God, that, that he is the one that the infants and the babes um, are crying out to. I mean, he's, he's letting it all hang out here. He's telling them all, this is who I am. I am God in the flesh, and this is what God wants, and what you've been doing is broken. And the heroes, the heroes in this passage, then in Matthew 21, are the weak, the lame, the deaf, and the useless children. They're the ones that are doing what God's created them to do. They're the ones praising God. They're the ones coming to to Jesus. They're the ones that that Jesus is healing. Why? Why is that the case? It's because they know they need Jesus. And they're running to Him. Whenever they see Him, they're just running to Him because they need Him. It's when we spend time with Jesus and ourselves. Our real selves, our true selves. Not the self that I want to be or not the the self that I try to be when I'm in front of you. It's the self I am. When I spend time with myself and with Jesus, that's a great time in a real way because that's when I see my own sin, my own deafness, my own way that I am lame, the own way that I am a sinful child, and I run to Jesus. When I honestly sit with myself in Jesus. Uh, John Calvin, who was uh, Presbyterian a long, long time ago, 
basically said that. You know God, you know yourself. You know yourself, and then you know God. If we truly know ourselves. Because Jesus said, you know, it's only the sick that need a doctor. And, and if we concoct uh, an alternate reality from what's real, that somehow makes me look good or makes you look good, then we no longer need Jesus. And we get caught in being dead church. But when we recognize ourselves as the losers we are, as the sinners that we are, and we, at every time, like the heroes in this story, run to Jesus and receive His grace, His mercy, His healing, that, brothers and sisters, is when the church comes alive. That's the church that's for anyone. That's the church that the living Jesus shines through. The weak, the lame, the deaf, and the useless. Coming to Jesus. With energy. With desire. With longing. That's the church that is alive. Amen.